Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Inside Job with your hosts, Jess and John. Welcome back, everybody, to The Inside Job. I am John Vargo. I'm here with Jess Shear. We are back, season two, episode 21. We are joined with Natalie. Super stoked to have her here. Welcome, Natalie. Jess, why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Yes, yeah, so we have here with us Doctor of Physical Therapy, Miss Natalie Bardelli. I actually went to school with Natalie at SDSU, where we both studied kinesiology as our undergraduate. Haven't seen Nat in a while. It's been about seven years since we graduated, right? Since 2015. Crazy. Yep. It is Can't crazy. Believe it's been that long. A lot of life changes. <laughs> Natalie's been married. She's moved. She started her own career. So we're going to get into that today. But just to give you a little intro on Natalie, her passion for physical health began very early from a young age. She committed herself to the sport of soccer, which I can also resonate with Nat the yeah. best. She competed at the national level across the country and continued to play at the club level through college. Through the years, she gained valuable experience in leadership, training, injury prevention. She also committed time to a two-year sports medicine program in which she oversaw multiple sports teams, including football, soccer, and basketball, among others. Natalie received both her Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology and her Doctorate in Physical Therapy from San Diego State University. Her journey towards becoming a physical therapist has not only taken her across the entire state, but has landed her as far as Guatemala, where in 2018 she had the privilege of providing rehabilitative services to underserved communities. She hopes to continue to harness these skills to serve communities both locally and abroad. So outside of her career, Natalie has a passion for the outdoors where she enjoys running, camping, hiking, and walking her dog, Nala. Nala girl. Wow. The best. (laughs) What kind of dog? She's a black lab mix. She's 13. I know. She's doing good though. Healthy girl? Yeah. Healthy girl. Okay, good. Yep. Okay, good. And last thing here, um, Natalie's inspired by the human body and has um, the incredible ability to heal and find balance and hopes to share this with some of you on the podcast and with all her patients she sees in her practice. So now with that being said, welcome to the Inside Job Podcast. Thank you so much. You're this welcome. is so fun to be here. Good. It's so good to see you again. I can't wait to get into it. So let's um, let's start with the very basics. How did you decide, or I guess when did you decide both, to get into physical therapy? Yeah, I feel super fortunate because I felt like I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist since I was in high school, which I feel like is really rare and it's tough to choose your major right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. But... Um, since playing soccer and getting into sports medicine, I feel like I found my passion for the human body really early. And right off the bat, I um, was looking for a kinesiology or some sort of physical therapy program in um, an undergraduate school. So thankfully I got into SDSU and they have a great kinesiology program, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of went from there. And I never really questioned it. Once or twice I, I freaked out and thought, maybe I chose too early, you know, yeah. is it too soon? And I kind of dabbled in other things. Um, but from there, I just went straight to it. And thankfully, after undergrad, I got into SDSU again to get my doctorate in PT. And here we are. Wow. Right. So, That's yeah. incredible. Now, was it a little bit daunting knowing that you just had a four-year degree under your belt and you still had three years ahead of you? Totally. Yeah. And I actually took a year off between undergrad and my doctorate. Okay. Just to, um, getting into PT school is really competitive mm-hmm. and getting more so. And so I just felt like I wanted to give my best to my um, applications. So I took a year off, I just volunteered, and I worked as an aide at an outpatient clinic in San Diego here, and I just gave my best, and thankfully I got into a couple schools and chose to stay here in beautiful San Diego, so. Nice, those other schools yeah. were out of, out of state or in state? Actually, in state also, yeah. Okay. I, um, I almost went to Sac State, mm-hmm. which I had a great experience at their interview, but I gotta say, I met 
<laughs> I met Ryan here um, <laughs> right before I graduated undergrad, and uh-huh. uh, Jess knows him as well. And so that was part of my decision process yes. was, you know, where where do I want to be and where do I want to end up? So that right. was a part of it. And, um, yeah, I loved the program at SDSU, and I still kind of keep in touch with them. So Wonderful. And Natalie, I'm glad you were able to balance you know, not only career and future work with physical therapy in school, but also your, your normal life. Cause these things matter, romances and friends and where you feel yeah. stable and at home. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, what's going to contribute to your quality of life. Definitely. Right? So I think you wound up in a space you wanted to end up. Yeah. I love it. Good. Thank I'm you. so happy to hear that. Uh, Natalie, as a new physical therapist, I mean, you've been working in the field for a few years now. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges you feel that you face so far? Yeah. I feel like that one isn't really easy answer for me. And I, from talking to other newer PTs, I feel like the answer is pretty similar in that um, it's imposter syndrome. And I think that's really common for a lot of people coming out of school, especially for anything medicine or physical medicine related. You learn so much in school. You learn um, so much about the human body and there's so much to know and you, you kind of feel like you have a hold on it mm-hmm. as you pass your boards. And then suddenly you see all these real human bodies, right? right? And what you learned in school doesn't work for this person. And it's where do I go next, right? Being a new PT and and not knowing what are my resources now. I don't have professors. I don't have other students next to me asking (laughs) the same question. So um, definitely imposter syndrome for sure. And I, I started off in an outpatient clinic in Mission Valley and I was lucky enough to have good mentors who were mm-hmm. able to help guide me through that and willing mm-hmm. to do so. But I feel like a lot of PTs probably find themselves in situations where they, they don't have resources and they don't have help. So it, it kind of just falls on you to find your way through those difficulties. So mm-hmm. finally found my stride, I feel like at, at year one, but then kind of faced different barriers of seeing so many patients, this is something we'll talk about, having a high caseload, seeing a lot of faces every single day, and that came kind of with a whole new set of challenges. Like, I feel confident now, mm-hmm. but I just can't keep up at this pace providing really good care. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm really actually passionate about is like, one day I want to be able to take in newer PTs and help that through them through that transition period because that was really tough for me, mm-hmm. and I think it's really, really common. People right, don't talk I mean, about it about it enough. Yeah, it's true because you you learn all like you're in academia for so long, right? And obviously you have hours that are applicable to the you know the real life. However, that being said, yeah. nothing will compare to having bodies in front of you until you're doing it for a long time. There's no way you can have immediate confidence. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I can compare that to my days in the fire department because it was the same as being a paramedic. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this is what you do. Yeah. It's very black and white algorithm to yep. do it, and then all of a sudden you're could be the scenario where you're in or the body type or whatever it is there's just no way to to know it all yeah yeah there's just no way and you just gotta kind of work through it yeah like if you're passionate enough to keep learning and learning that's the mm-hmm. only way out yes and like you can't just give up unless you want to change careers right mm-hmm. you got to keep moving through but it's no longer a b c or d answering the question and then you just move on it's like right. a process that's really difficult to navigate through mm-hmm. so Matt, so when you were when you were saying about you know you'd have a patient in front of you and it's you had no idea what to do because mm-hmm. it's not something you've really learned before it was a new whatever it was, how did you go back to the drawing board? Did you use your resources, the other PTs there? What did you do to handle that? Yeah, I I really used my people to the best of my abilities. Um, thankfully, I met really good uh, some of my best friends in PT school, so that was a resource. So nice. 
um, just to relate on that and also like, have you seen this and, and mm-hmm. what have you done and what worked for you? Yeah, which helps them, I'm sure. Yeah, right? and it's good to talk about because people are, mm-hmm. you know, people don't want to talk about how they are unsure in their right. professions. Yeah. You're a, you're a doctor of physical therapy. You're supposed to know. You're supposed also, to know the right. answers. They're coming to you for answers. So it's difficult when, when inside you're saying, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So definitely um, going to my friends and other students and then um, actually going to... I'm blanking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to say yeah. the people what about me. your professors or professors that you may had. You know, interestingly enough, professors um, felt like a different scope to me because okay. um, not all of them continue to treat. Mm. Some of them transition towards academia, and it's yeah. not like they don't know their stuff. They really right. do, but some of them haven't seen patients for years. Right. right. So you know things change over time, and so I I went more towards the more experienced PTs right. in my clinic and right. they were thankfully awesome people. And even the, um, the owner of the clinic, I mean, these are great people that I worked with luckily. Mm-hmm. So they were super helpful for me, but the hard thing is at the end of the day, you have to see as many patients as they give you. Right. So how does that look? Cause you touched on it now a couple of times. Yeah. So I, I have some friends in the business as well and they're just, I mean, as fast as they can, I mean, it's like 15 minutes maybe per mm-hmm. person. Um, so how many are you seeing a day and how does that Yeah, how look? does that play out? So yeah. it's different now, but I'll speak to um, what most outpatient clinics look like mm-hmm. and then kind of how my PT world looks now. Mm-hmm. The typical outpatient clinic, and this goes into kind of the issues that I feel like are um, pertinent in the PT world. Mm-hmm. The typical clinic, uh, you're, you're seeing at least two patients an hour, at least. Some of them, I did a, a, a clinical at a clinic that saw, you saw four an hour. But they're there for the full hour. Mm-hmm. So right. when I'm talking to John and, and doing his one-on-one treatment for 15 minutes, there's Jess and three other people doing their exercises with mm-hmm. an aid or you know whatever they may be doing. Right. And so you're still in charge of those people and you still want to give them really great care. But now you're, you're juggling. And it, it starts to come to a point where it feels like you're more just juggling and trying to get through your day mm-hmm. than being able to like really provide really patient-centered care yeah. one-on-one. And the, right. just the relationship isn't there anymore when you have four people that you're working with. Right. I've experienced that. So I've had shoulder issues. Okay. And so they thought maybe surgery, but let's go through PT, sure. see what's going on with that. But then, you know, you're right. So I would see yourself you know mm-hmm. and you know for a brief amount of time and then work with the the staff there by the athletic trainer whoever was on staff yeah. but but then they would be you could tell that they were kind of struggling with that a little bit and then the pt would come over and be like maybe we should do something Change like this it, yeah but even though they had a client that they were manipulating or whatever you would call it on the other side over yep. here and so i could see where you would be constantly pulled in many directions totally all day long it's the ultimate multitasking and it's it's a good lesson to learn, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. in a way. But when, when patient care is suffering, yeah. that's when you got you need to start asking questions. You know, mm-hmm. what is the goal of this, mm-hmm. and who is ultimately winning? Is the patient getting better care? Mm-hmm. Do I have longevity as a physical therapist in this sort of setting? Yeah. For me, both of those answers were no, and that's kind of mm-hmm. how I hit that wall at about a year, a year okay. and a half okay. in my career. Okay. I'm glad you were asking those questions. Yeah. Yeah, because it's led you to tell, tell us what you're doing now, Nat. Yeah, so um, 
about a year and a half ago now, I kind of by chance was connected to Dr. Tammy Perrine, who is my mentor and partner now, who I work alongside with. She has been in the cash-based PT world for a long time, before it was even really a widely accepted uh, common way to practice. Mm-hmm. And she felt the same way, and that's why she branched out to do so. But So now I, um, I do only cash-based PT. I don't take insurance. So it's only one-on-one treatments. It's about 55 minutes to a, about an hour per patient. And I, I can never go back because I have seen how that style is so beneficial yeah. for the patient. And I just don't see how it can be really done other way, another way where you're juggling mm-hmm. patients. Um, so yeah, I'm in Claremont, it's amazing. I've seen patients progress faster than I ever thought possible as a PT. Mm-hmm. And imagine how that you know transfers to how the patient feels. Like a lot of these people have been to PT over and over and over. Yeah and didn't find success. And so they're kind of frustrated and eventually they end up maybe in our office and they're then surprised that, oh my gosh, I can make these changes mm-hmm. and I can make them in some cases relatively quickly. Yeah. So it's super, super rewarding. And um, I've never been so excited about my work before, truly. Wow, Nana, yeah. that's so nice to hear you say. And I, I think that's a big thing to wake up in the morning and not dread going to work and know that you're giving the best possible care and that you did something about it. Yeah. So when you wake up in the morning, are you like, I'm stoked to go to work because I know I have, I'm making a change in these people's lives? I actually am. That's wonderful. (sighs) Truly. Yeah. So instead of seeing 24 patients, let's say now you're down to maybe six Six, to eight. Five or six actually. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, you have, you have time in your week to do more. Uh I will say that, right? Like if I want to say a 40 hour work week is my goal, Mm -hmm. I have time to do that. And if there's a seed in my life where I need to work harder for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that yes, I can do that. Okay. But I think also kind of questioning what is full time? Right. And how much capacity do I have to give every patient I see 100%? Mm-hmm. Does that mean I see five a day? Mm-hmm. Does it mean I see eight a day? Does that vary day to day? So I think even asking like bigger questions who says mm-hmm. I have to see eight a day? Yeah. If I don't have the energy by patient seven, eight to give them a hundred percent, right? Because right. the way I think of it is, you're you're essentially leading. You're leading a meeting every hour. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you gave a presentation mm. every hour for forty hours a week, <laughs> right? And you're dealing with emotions, and you're yeah. dealing with discomfort and pain and frustration, and that's all a part of it. But how much can we give our patients with and also saving our own energy for mm-hmm. our own lives, right? Right. Being ready to come back tomorrow, like fresh. Yeah. That work-life balance is in full effect with you. Yeah. Well, we can only do like one one-hour podcast every two weeks. So, can you imagine if we did six in a day, Jess, no, five days a no week? Way. Holy shit! And Johnny, know the difference? It's <laughs> so true. And the difference is too. Natalie's on her feet all day. It's personal training. I mean, when yeah. I had eight clients yeah. a day, I was like, I oh, can't yeah. I sustain eight too. clients it's a day lot. every day. It's not that I can't do it, but mm-hmm. I don't want to have less energy from one to the next. Yes. And to be able to maintain the best possible, for me, not treatment, but just training yeah. for you treatment, right? You, you have to monitor your energy levels. You do. And say, so, you know what? Six is my absolute limit. If I go over six, I'm not delivering yeah. proper care anymore. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving yourself away. Moving, you're on your feet. And yeah. it's emotional energy, is it totally. not? Oh, 100%. You know about these people's lives. They talk to you. They confide in you. You're with mm-hmm. them on a very personal, intimate level. Mm-hmm. Yep. I heard you say um, in one of the past episodes, it's a little bit of therapy. 
I mean, totally. anything one-on-one like that, you're giving. And you should. Mm-hmm. That's the best part of our jobs, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there's a limit, and it's okay to say, I have my own limit. And yeah. as you should, you're, I mean, you're essentially working for yourself at this point, right? Yeah. Yep. Which is amazing in a whole new yeah. world that I didn't think would come so soon, but I feel super lucky to so yeah, be here now. Yeah. So is there any you. difference in... I mean, obviously the numbers have changed, but like what you're doing with the patient, like how does that look different? It looks very different. Um, It's actually kind of, it's interesting to look back and think what would I have done with this patient Mm -hmm. even a year ago? And it it looks pretty different for me. Um, Dr. Preen is is my mentor and my friend and my partner. And Mm -hmm. she has taken me in and shared all the things she's learned and discovered about the human body. Amazing. If I could give this setup to any new PT, I really would. It's been incredible, but she's taught me so many new things and new ideas and new possibilities for people. So every treatment looks different, but it's just so much more personalized than it was before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exercises that are one-sided. You know, you're only turning one way. You're only doing this leg. Mm-hmm. It's it's so specific and and I think that's the beautiful thing about the human body. It's also the most challenging thing, mm-hmm. right? Is no person is the same, mm-hmm. as right. we all know. But um, yeah, it looks totally different. And that's what makes me excited to learn more, though, is yeah. how much have I grown in this year? What am I going to learn this coming year? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to look back and think, ooh, yeah, that's awesome. It just keeps on compounding and yeah. compounding. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're 20 years in the business and you'll have a whole flock of PTs beneath you that you're all trained up, up to Natalie's speed, Dr. Natalie's speed. (laughs) That's cool. And now I want to get into, there's a lot of current issues with physical therapy and, you know, from either friends like anecdotally who've spoken about them or I've just heard from other, from clients, right? The clients that I've had over the years who've gone to PT, Mm -hmm. there's issues, right? Like telehealth, like that's something that's hard to give proper care. Other things like, um, you know, like not addressing the root issue. And that's a big one, right? Yeah. like chronic lower back pain, like a lot has to do with underactivity of like glutes and things like that, right? But people aren't looking at that, they're looking at the back and that's what's being done. Yes. I want you to talk about current issues that you've seen in the physical, in the PT world from either your old place or even now, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, the number one for me, and this feels like a cascade of issues, but the the first one being, if, if you're talking about insurance base, and I'll talk strictly more about outpatient since that's my experience um, and it applies more to this setting, but insurance just doesn't reimburse very well for PT treatment. So what that means is if I have, if I'm going through my insurance, I head into a PT clinic close to my house and I say, hey, I need X, Y, and Z, and I get an eval and they start treating me. Every, let's say, hour I'm there, my insurance company is only paying that clinic so much. And it's quite frankly not enough for how much overhead and how much the doctor needs to get paid and how much the aide needs to get paid and the front desk and all of these things. So what ends up happening is the clinic needs you to see more patients. Mm. And that's how you get from one-on-one care down to two, two patients an hour, three patients an hour, four an hour, and then what happens to your treatment quality. Mm-hmm. There's no way it can be high quality. Not, I mean, it's, I it's very difficult. Right. It's very difficult to juggle. So from there, there's two things that happen. The PT's frustrated, and they just can't give 100% all day seeing 20 patients. Exhausted. Yeah. And then what's happening to the patient? They're bummed. 
-hmm. they're not getting good care maybe they're not seeing the success they were hoping for and then they end up seeking alternative treatment which in a lot of cases means something invasive so a cortisone injection or a surgery neither of which you can undo right those are permanent solutions or fixes so right um i think the the reimbursement rates they're very difficult right because that's that's high up that's really hard to change and so that's why i think there's been a a a turn towards cash-based pt these days because it feels like our only out right now until something higher up changes Mm -hmm. so that's a bummer because it just affects all parties um, and makes it really difficult to provide really good care Right, and that was well said because I, I know the insurance thing's been a big issue with PT. They're trying to get the highest volume amount, but yeah, when you're in a job of helping people and volume doesn't correlate with right quality health. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, okay, what about what do you think about the addressing the root issue? Yeah, so I think those actually go hand in hand, even okay. though they feel far away. Right. If I only have 15 minutes with my patient, I think uh, PTs are like detectives, right? I'm trying to find the root issue. I'm just trying to sort through everything to find what's the not the symptom, but what's the original, original cause. Mm-hmm. But if I only have 15 minutes to find that, and I only see you once in a while, right. it's really difficult to to find that issue and then really address it. Um, so I think those two things go hand in hand, and they're, and they're tough. That's why now when I see patients one-on-one, I feel like I have so much faster success. Mm-hmm because we're on the same page, patient and PT, and we really understand each other, and we can make a plan individualized to you. If I just don't have enough time, I mean, you could be an amazing PT, and you can have the best, you should be hoping the best for your patient, but if you just don't have the the bandwidth or the time, you, you can't quite get there, so yeah. um, it's I w- difficult. I would think like you, with the relationships you have with your patients now, like they're actually probably doing what they need to be doing on yeah. their days off uh-huh. and not like, oh shit, I forgot yeah. to do my band stretches mm-hmm. and roll a ball across the floor on my totally. bed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Whatever I prescribe, yeah. you know. Yeah. I swear it'll work. It's worked before. Uh, yeah. But, um, so yeah, I would think that just because that relationship is there, they yeah. almost feel like accountable to you Personally. to show up. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's a, a trust point. thing. Yeah. If they understand... If they feel like you understand what's going on with them, they trust. They put all your all their trust in you, mm-hmm. and so now there's this true relationship where they feel like they have a really good resource and that they have the tools that are going to work for them. If they feel like it's going to work, they'll do it, and if they trust you, they'll do it. But if you haven't built that relationship yet, it's going to be really difficult to get to the end result that you want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's awesome to watch people go through that process and like have that aha moment where yeah. they realize oh, I have con- control over this. Yeah. Like, I can go home and actually I can fix myself. Right. Right? I just need guidance. Yeah. But I can do this by myself. So that's an awesome part of, yeah, what I've seen the last year. That's cool. I think that's a good point because I know, like, you know, like you're throwing a packet, like these are your exercises you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if there hasn't been proper time allotted to dem- to demonstrate those exercises to those people, they're not going to do it at home. Yeah. People it's are so lazy. Tough. Like, j- like, inherently people are lazy, yeah. right? Yep. So without that accountability, I don't see them being productive. Yeah. Slackers. Slackers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a real issue. We're all just slackers. Just <laughs> slackers. Uh, uh, so uh, what would be something that you see most often? Like, what's the, the common injury? Is Ooh. it the back? Is it the, the shoulder? 
you know, ah, I hurt yeah. my shoulder in football <laughs> you know, in high school. And my I'm weekend 50. football games. Yeah. <laughs> Weekend um, yeah, weekend warrior is a big one. Uh, I would I say low back pain. Uh-huh. Actually, back pain in general. Okay. Any spine, super super common, and mm-hmm. a lot of foot pain also. Hmm. But it's the the interesting thing about it is, I can't tell you. There's common causes, but it's so varied what the root issue is for everybody. Right. Like foot pain can be caused by a spine shift. Mm-hmm. And so it feels so far away. And they, that patient maybe has gone through a hundred treatments looking at their foot, like you, je- like you said, Jess, mm-hmm. looking at the area of pain. Right. Where the area of dysfunction is so far away, it just hasn't been found yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I would say foot pain and, and any sort of spine back pain are super, super common. Mm. But really, if you ask a lot of patients who have XYZ pain, they come in for one thing. If you give them enough time, they have they have other things going on, right? Yeah. They just have their number one right. thing, and they, they tend to give you one thing at a time because maybe they've been to a different place in the past where there was only enough time for my mm. main issue, yeah. my, my number one most uncomfortable issue. But a lot of times, if, if you find there's two or three pain, areas of pain, it's all from the same root. Mm. That's the cool part. Yeah. Is like you start fixing one thing, mm-hmm. and then it fixes another thing they maybe didn't even tell you about. So that's the that's a fun that's a fun game we play. <laughs> that, that is cool, Nat. And do you have like what does your demographic look like? Do you ha- are you a lot of geriatric or do you have like athletes? What what's going on in your practice? Totally varied, totally varied. Um, a lot of weekend warrior types. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe even I fall into that category now, which is so <laughs> weird. Now you're all grown right? up. Like, we don't practice every week. Anyways, yeah. people who play sports, yeah, on the weekends or just kind of um, YMCA leagues, adult leagues, things like that. Mm-hmm. My youngest has been four. Oh, wow. wow. Recently. And then my oldest in the past year or so in her 90s. Okay. So it really, it varies, which is fun. Allows you keeps to learn it a lot. varied, yeah. yeah. Keeps it really varied, and you have to modify things according to your patient. But yeah, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, you're just mm-hmm. learning a lot constantly, right? Yeah. Gosh, for years I would pull my calf muscle like non <laughs> non stop, yeah, <sighs> at work, and then it was always at work? yeah. We would be oh, playing oh, frisbee. You, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what she was. We'd thinking. be playing. I thought you frisbee. were fighting fires. <laughs> we're training. We were training. We cardiovascular training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was all the time. But, you know, it was like the root of it. Like, what should I do? Well, maybe you should stretch. Right. Maybe you should warm up. And then, you know, of course, I didn't listen. And then it just got escalated into yeah. more, you know. And then it was back. And then shoulder was accurate. I did have the shoulder issue. And then, like, but, uh, but yeah, it was, I never followed through. But it was interesting, though, how it was all connected. Like, right. Yeah. Like, so. Hey, you're having lower back pain. Well, that's because your hamstrings are as tight as can be. Mm-hmm. And why don't you try warming those up and stretching those? But now I try to implement that more in my routine is having like this prepare session. Yeah. Of, like getting ready, warming up. Doing Before some, your runs. Yeah. And even Jess, yeah. when she were doing the boot camp, she would make us do this, all these little exercises to, to warm everyone yeah, up. Yeah, prep. And then, and then actually like recover from it. Use the foam roller. Start rolling out that IT band yep. and calves and all that stuff. And then start from like the, you are doing that. No, this is. <laughs> I'm just cringing at you saying rolling your IT band. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. it hurts. But like starting from like ankles and digest. working your way up to calf, to hamstring, and then the glutes, and then the lower back. Yeah. 
And I think it's um, it's helpful, yeah, to have a system, right? Mm -hmm. Because after your run or whatever it is, or before even, if you don't have X, Y, and Z things you know you should do before your exercise routine, you're not going to warm up, you know? You're just going to kind of get to it unless you know what's helpful for you. Mm -hmm. Same thing for like a cool down sort of stretch routine. Yeah. If I don't know what I'm supposed to do after my exercise, I'm just going to be done with it and take a shower. Right. You know, it's nice right. to have a set routine. You know, it's it's perfect for you and your body. Yeah, keeps you more consistent. I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On this topic, I'm I'm going to ask you because I've done I've done a lot of research on the topic of just static stretching versus dynamic. And you, you were told our whole lives to static stretch after, but yeah. with um, extended like static stretching you obviously lose like contractile potential because yep. you're elongating your muscles right and you're not able to fire them the same what is your thought on static stretching so when I say static stretching I just mean stretching in a fixed position yeah um, I'm gonna give you a fun answer okay love it a depends. fun answer oh, it depends okay um, which is like a joke in the PT world that there's never a solid answer right um, <laughs> and I'm saying that because I see it vary a lot patient to patient, and I think a lot of that is actually related to age and age-related changes and how well your body reacts to a stretch or why you're doing the stretch. So for example, the, the first thing I think of is if someone needs a calf stretch. <clears throat> if, there's, if I have a patient who has really tight calves and it's making their feet. John's raising his hand. <laughs> He's like, me, yeah, me. I'm going to actually pay attention. Say more. Yeah, yeah. Take notes. Mike, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Their calves are really, really tight. It's making their feet supinate, mm. pull up and out, right, to the point where they can't get that shock absorption and that loading, appropriate loading when they're, say, running. That's their mm. exercise. Or just walking even. If I have, say, a 75-year-old patient and I have them do just dynamic stretching before that exercise, I don't see the same results in mobility as I do if I have them do the static stretch. Now, if I know that their goal is afterwards to go do exercise and that muscle needs to contract, then you can start with your dynamic, or sorry, start with your static, and then you can move to dynamic, and then maybe you do a couple of exercises, warm-ups where that tissue is contracting in preparation for the actual movement itself. So that's a long answer to no. A, it's great. <laughs> your question. I like that though, not because we tend to think it's it's black or white, right? It's not. Yeah. It's really contextual. It depends on the age of the person, what their intentions are with activity or play or yes. just movement in general. It does matter. You're right. So we, we hear these things, right? Like this is bad. This is good. And that's yeah. just it's not a binary thing. It's not how it works. Yes, I love that answer. Yeah, and so it just really depends on the, the person in front of you. And and don't forget, if you need that reaction after your static stretch follow it up with a couple contractions like right. that muscle will come back quick it just doesn't stay in that sleepy state for forever right you can wake it up you know and then yeah, go do resilient. your exercise yeah of we course. change <laughs> <laughs> so how about like getting back to work back to play like what would be a good way to decrease that time yeah so i feel like this answer depends on um if we're talking return to sport say after mm-hmm. a big injury yeah or best way to recover say just after kind of a single competition or like a single game Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, First thing that comes to mind is move. Yeah, motion is lotion. Motion is lotion, motion (laughs) is healing, yes. (laughs) He knows it all, why do you even ask me? (laughs) I don't. Um, (laughs) I think there's a, a thought process out there, say after injury, example, I sprained my ankle about three Mm -hmm. weeks ago um, before I played soccer. A soccer game and the first thing I did literally 
five minutes after the injury, I was walking around. I was doing everything forward and backwards, sagittal mm-hmm. plane, bending my knees, trying to do some squats, getting that that ankle to move in a motion that was comfortable. A pain-free mm-hmm. range. Pain-free range, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And not being afraid of that, getting that proprioception back. So doing guided movement, whatever that means for you, if you need you know, help to, if you need a PT to guide you through that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm telling you, just quote unquote resting in the way that we think about rest is not the optimal way to lay down new tissue, right? You're laying down new cells mm-hmm. and new tissue where you injured it. Those can lay down in a better, more neat way when you're doing, you know, really good guided motion right after your injury. So the number one thing is to move, whatever that means. Um, I do also want to say I have two tools that I feel like are really helpful just for recovery in general. Um, have you heard of the CTM band? I'm sure you Mm-mm. use something similar. Let me. What does it look like? Um, it's a. It's like a rope band. It's like a big rope band, but there's. This sounds painful. But there's three half golf balls that are kind uh-huh. of hooked into it okay. on one end of it. I'm going to type it in right now. Yeah. yeah keep telling me. And um, oh, yeah. um, you can wrap it around whatever tissue you are trying to mobilize, whatever tension you're you know, comfortable with. Uh-huh. And then you can do you, whatever it is, lunges, squats, walking, calf raises, whatever body part you're, you're putting it on. Um, and then you take it off after about maybe a minute or two or three, depending on your body. And then you kind of just get this awesome rush oh, of, yeah. of circulation and new mobility. Right. Um, so I'm sure you've used like a rogue band, similar type thing. Yeah, 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 I've seen them. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, a good tool, just depending on the person and, mm-hmm. and what they can tolerate. Athletes, it's a good one for them. And then the hyperfold or any yeah. kind of vibration um, tool I found is really, really helpful in relaxing muscles. So what, is, so what was it about? Hypervolt or percussion. Oh, oh. You know, those oh, yeah, little yeah, massage yeah, guns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. We're leaving that, too. We had a little midstream edit, which this is what you get to see. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so our little hypervolt things. And how about those, like, pants people where they're, like, compression deals? Yes. You know? what are those oh, called? I'm blanking on the Nomatech. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had people get really good results with that. Mm-hmm. I actually used to work with a, an athletic trainer who loved Normatech. I mean... Human, we know bodies love that compression and that release, so mm-hmm. it kind of just helps lymph and everything circulate through. So I've okay. seen good results with that. Okay. Yeah, and in com- in combination with elevation, elevation mm-hmm. I think is it's not super helpful on its own, but in combination with other things, if yeah. if it's necessary for what you're dealing with, it could be super helpful, especially yeah. for extremities. I mean, if you're dealing with like back pain, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a toughie. But yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, um, sorry, John, I was about to cut you off. No, it was nothing important. <laughs> Go I, ahead. I didn't think so. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, speaking of elevation and not resting, let's talk about rice. Okay, right? We're, we're told that our entire lives in school. Yep. Yeah. How do you, do you want to tell? Well, first, what does the acronym mean, Nat? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Okay. How do you feel about icing? I have mixed feelings about icing. I don't Depends. love. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like a broken record. I don't love ice. And you're going to love this Advil and SEDS right off the bat. I think there's a time and a place for sure. Um, but as we learn more about the body, we've learned inflammation isn't inherently a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. Mm-hmm. It's your body really casting itself, mm-hmm. kind of protecting you in preparation for healing. It's bringing in new cells. It's bringing in white blood cells. You're flushing out the area and you're getting ready to heal. So when you come in with that Advil, 
the hour that you sprained your ankle, your body stops this this process that's its own natural reaction. And so sometimes you can get kind of caught in the middle of this healing process and it makes it really difficult to get past that. Um, so I feel the same way about ice. It's kind of the same thing. Unless a patient is a couple weeks out and I feel like, gosh, that inflammation should really be gone by now. Or if that inflammation is really, I think, the cause of their pain. Okay. Like if I'm on that area and it's warm and it's swollen, and I think that swelling itself is causing a lot of their discomfort. Okay, we've we've done what we can. You have a movement program. We've given it enough time, day-wise. Then I say, okay, if if you need the NSAIDs and the ice, especially like to sleep, things like that, mm-hmm. which are also really important for healing. Absolutely. Then I say, yes, go for it. Yeah. But off the bat, unless you really need pain relief, I, I really encourage patients to not reach for the NSAIDs off the bat. I like that you mm-hmm. said that. And like, and like you said, context matters, right? With... um. Like in sports, like baseball pitchers, you know, you see them sitting in the dugout in between each inning with ice on their shoulders, Oof, right? Because yeah. they have inflammation and they're, they're throwing so many pitches in an inning. Yep. So ice is, is relevant for them in that time because yeah. they need to be able to pitch again without pain. Yeah. Right? So again, it's not one big thing like cures all, but we are told to ice our whole lives. I'm like, it's, you know, it, it, your body's trying to regenerate yeah. in that area and trying to heal. And it's your body's signal that, hey, something's wrong here, send help. Yeah. So putting that ice on is going to do, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Sometimes. And think sometimes. when and how, like... Am I icing um, afterwards? Am I icing before my activity? When is that appropriate? When is it not appropriate? And ice, that decreased temperature, right, it's slowing things down. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're trying to prepare for movement, like if you're trying to go on a walk soon, icing before, probably not your best, mm-hmm. your best choice. It also slows down nerve conduction, right? So if you're trying to do motion afterwards, it's, it's probably not your best choice and you could see better results with preparatory motion and then ice afterwards if you feel like you need it. Right. I feel like I had something else to say about ice. I'm trying to think of what it was. <laughs> I would speak up, but you probably shut me down oh, again. Oh, re- <laughs> stop it. I remember. It's like having a fever, right? Like when you yeah. have a fever, people always remember yes. so It's like, no, that's yeah, your body you saying, let it burn it up. hey, yeah. I need to get some work done in yes. here. And like getting, trying to get your fever down right away is not going to do your body justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same healing. thing. If, if down the line you have a fever by day five, you know, and the fever is the thing that's putting you at risk right. now. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, right. So well said. I, I love, just I love that topic because yeah. it is multifaceted and it's not one you know one size fits all. So with like back pain, I want to, I want to bring this up because we were talking about motion, and for years I've always seemed to manage to throw my back out in just random situations. Yep. But um, but Mother's Day last year, I thought it'd be a good idea to go to the gym and push the sled with too much weight on it because <laughs> I was getting anxious at home. <laughs> So I ended up jacking my back up, could barely walk, had to get picked up. Point is, is that this time I did it totally different than any way I would have done it before. Because it would have been just like, lay on the floor, lay, you know, just like, don't do anything. And so this one was like, go home, feet up against the wall, like legs up against the wall, elevated, and then walked. I forced myself to walk. I'd get up, I'd crawl, and like, I would be like shuffling by the time the walk was done. It would be like miles later. I was moving. I'd be wow. able to move, and then you know, eventually, it would kind of like creep in again, mm-hmm. and then I would just sit there and force myself to walk. But normally, that type of injury would be it would be weeks. Yeah. It would be a couple weeks for me, and it was like less than a week. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. That's that. awesome. Like, I, I remember the sled thing. I remember hearing uh. that you know put way too many plates on. I do remember that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was like the first time that I actually went with the motion. I love that. I love that you mentioned walking. Because I use walking as a form of 
therapy and exercise with most of my patients. Because when you think of the natural motions of the human body, walking is number one, Mm -hmm. right? And so many things in your body are happening during walking that if if there's any dysfunction really anywhere in your body from your neck to your toe, you can work on it while you're walking. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, really one underrated form of recovery too is just walking depending on what you're dealing with mm-hmm. yeah do you, do you do a gait analysis yeah with, okay yeah with pretty much every every patient that's great um we How just use a long hallway oh you just watch them on the hallway do you yeah. take measurements of the length of their leg or so like that? i like that you mentioned that because that's a that's an interesting topic um not specifically off the bat unless i see something <laughs> <laughs> No, Jess and John are having a little fun here. No, I'm just, that is like, it's, that's an interesting topic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I can typically see if there's a discrepancy in leg length mm-hmm. while someone is just standing in front of me. Okay. But I think there's a misconception. I don't think a lot of people have different leg lengths mm-hmm. structurally. Okay. What I see way more commonly is a dysfunction in the spine Mm -hmm. causing the legs to function at different lengths, right? So if there's, um, say, a side bend in your spine, it's going to cause one leg to look longer, Mm -hmm. one hip to be hiked up. Mm -hmm. So it's going to feel like one leg is longer and the other is shorter. But, yeah, the issue is not in your leg. Right. The issue is in your spine. So then you would work through the spine? So you'd work through the spine. Mm -hmm. That's the first place that you go. Mm -hmm. Depending on what they're dealing with, you can maybe get that to zero, to even. Yeah. And then I see a lot of patients with scoliosis. Sometimes you can't overcome that dysfunction. So yeah, you'll add a a little lift in their shoe or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's a misconception. And a lot of people come to me and say, this practitioner told me my right leg is longer. Mm-hmm. But when I really look into it, right. it's not your leg, it's your spine. Yeah, okay. That was a really good question, John. Yeah. That is Thank super you, common. Jessica. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, Nat, <laughs> moving on. I'm the one who's to keep this shit on track. <laughs> when should somebody... Okay, so a lot of times people are dealing with, do I get surgery or do I go to physical therapy? Yeah. When should someone see a PT versus get that surgery? Like, when would that warrant... Turn it. How do I phrase? Do you understand what I'm asking? Okay. What? Okay. Sometimes I give you the option to either go to PT. Yeah. Right. Or or you could get the surgery. Yeah. Off the bat. Yes. Off the bat. I. Even if I were not a physical therapist, please, please go see a PT first. Okay. The reason for that is because. People are going to. Provide you with whatever solution they know. Mm-hmm. If you see a surgeon. Off the bat. They're gonna, if you know, if they see something, they're going to offer you a solution. What solutions do they have? They have injections and they have surgery. You can't undo either of those two. So once you go down that path, your back is fused or your knee is replaced, any of those things, that is done and can never be undone. If you see a physical therapist, I'm hoping that they will be able to catch the reason that your knee hurts. Right. Not just fix the mechanical knee itself. Right. Because like I said earlier, a lot of people's pain is caused by an area very far away from where they feel the pain. Mm -hmm. So I've had people before, I have a patient who has had two hip replacements for pain she felt in her hips. Mm Mm-hmm. 
come to find I saw her after her surgeries. Her surgeries were years ago. She has scoliosis. Her pain was from her back radiating on both sides. Her hips, sure, maybe had degenerative changes on your imaging. That's a whole other topic. But where is the source of your pain versus where are you really feeling the symptom? Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So just as a surgeon, I I couldn't do surgery right now. They're amazing. They're incredible at what they do. But we are specialists in movement dysfunction. And so if you're having pain with movement, in my opinion, that's who you need to go to first. Mm. And you know, it's not that you can't do both. Like down the road, if if you just come to a point where there's, we've done all we can and we've tried all the things and maybe you've looked for a couple opinions. If you need to get surgery, then yes, that's that's a part of it. You've exhausted all options. Yeah. Yeah, I'm supposed to have surgery on my wrist, and they're like, okay, well, if you do it, then um, you'll lose 30% mobility of your wrist. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wow, okay. And But there's no guarantee. Right. The pain. Right? And all yes. the problems will go away. I'm like, well, I think I'll keep the 30% yeah. and I appreciate <laughs> I your time and effort. Yeah. yeah. And that's a hard thing. There aren't, there aren't guarantees yeah. in, in surgery and that your body will appreciate what you've put into it even. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like a two-part question, but how would uh, how would you go about finding the right PT other than yourself? Because we know you're the best. <laughs> oh. And and then once you are in that, like how would you know if your PT is doing what they yeah. need to be doing? If they're subpar or that's a yeah. that's a great question. And I've tried to answer this for patients before, and it's really tough. The tough thing is you you can't identify a good PT based on credentials. Mm-hmm. I think that goes for yeah, anyone, really that. Right. right? Right. Just because they have a lot of letters after their name. Yes, maybe it, it could signal they're interested in more education, learning more, yes. But just because they have a specialty X, Y, or Z doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get amazing care. I think the first thing to look for, in my opinion, is one-on-one treatment. There are amazing PTs in all clinics out there. Mm-hmm. They are. But in just my experience, unless you have quality time with your practitioner, you're going to be a little bit stunted in how much you can do, right, in your time. So I would say look for one-on-one care. Okay. And don't be afraid to call them and say, hey, I'm just wondering what's your treatment approach? What does that look like? Right? Usually clinics have kind of a, a collective strategy on how they treat their patients. Do they only do manual therapy? Do they only do exercise? Do they do a lot of modalities? Are they doing a lot of ice and e-stim and ultrasound? Those for me doesn't mean, there's not zero evidence for them, but there's not great evidence for those modalities. So if you're sitting there for 20 minutes on ultrasound, it's probably not the best choice. So looking for someone, in my opinion, who's kind of mixed between, yes, I do manual therapy, but we also encourage a lot of exercise and things like that. That, for me, is a good sign. Um, when you're there, that's a tough one, too. Like, okay, you you went to PT. I'm here. I'm doing the thing. Seems good. Do you feel like your PT is, is really listening to you? Mm-hmm. Like when you sit down and have a conversation and you're telling them about your symptoms, do you feel like they're really hearing what you're saying? and then changing their treatments based off of what you're saying Mm -hmm. and the exact things you're having trouble with. So you should feel like your treatment makes a difference for you, yes, physically, but it's also catered to your goals. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm telling my PT I have trouble 
going from sitting to standing and that hurts my low back. And I have questions about that and they're not answered and that's not a part of our treatment. It's just something to consider, right? You should feel like your treatment's really catered towards you. Um, Two more things. Are they willing to collaborate with other practitioners that you see? I think knowing limitations to everyone's practice is super important. So like I've had patients, they're doing well, they're doing well, they kind of hit a wall. Maybe I feel like acupuncture could be beneficial to them. Are they willing to kind of reach out, say, hey, this is going well, but I think you would do really well with this mm-hmm. or massage therapy once a month. Mm-hmm. I've had Pilates instructors I've I've collaborated with like over the phone or over email of like hey these are the things I want to see this patient doing can you look out for this and so we kind of work together instead of feeling like we're competing you know like there's this weird competition yeah Yeah. between providers of like PTs and chiropractors can't work together because for some reason we feel like we're stepping on each other's toes but I don't think it has to be that way because our end goal is the same yeah you guys complement each other yeah you should yeah. Hopefully it's for that patient, yeah. right? Hopefully that's the end goal. Yeah. So are they willing to know their limitations? And with that, are they willing to say, if you have a question, are they willing to say, I don't know? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. If they really don't know, that's something I learned in my first year. I had to say, I don't know, and be humble. Mm-hmm. But then I went home and I found the answer. Right. Right. And then you bring it back. Right. It's okay not to know everything. Right. Know your limits. But, like, are they willing to find that answer for you and then educate you based off of that? I think humility in that context is way more respectable and admirable than acting like you know things you don't. Than the ego or arrogance of just, like, checking that at the door. Yeah, you're not paying to get BS'd. I mean, you know, it's... Right. That'd be absurd. Yeah. And when people's health and well-being are in mind, too, like, or at risk, you got to be honest about, you know, those things and find answers. Keep learning. Right, and I, I really I love that answer to how to find a good PT because I think people get injured and they get recommended by their doctor or just whoever you know is the closest person and yeah. those not, might not be the best for them. So yeah. those are really good tips for someone to source out a Thank really you. good physical therapist and what to be mindful for yeah. or of, rather. Um, okay, you said there's a lot of myths around physical therapy, right? There's a couple of myths. I think this <laughs> is going to be the fun. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's debunk them. Okay, and talk about them. I know you love this one. The knees over toes thing. I just have to reiterate. You, your knees and your ankles biomechanically are created in such a way that your knees should go over your toes. <laughs> I'm going to actually reverse it and not even say it, it's correct for your knees to be able to go over your toes. So your knees and your ankles just biomechanically are created in such a way that it is totally healthy and normal for your knees to pass your toes. I love this one, and I feel like I, I still have to educate patients on this, so I, I felt like I had to repeat that. I'm glad you did, Natalie. Yeah. Thank you for addressing that. Um, a second one, I'm trying to think of which ones I want to talk about. Um, the area where you're feeling your pain, we kind of talked about this, likely is not the issue. Let's take the knee for an example. Knee pain. Mm-hmm. The knee in biomechanically mostly just bends forward and backwards it, there's a little bit of rotation but it's a pretty simple quote-unquote joint if you want to say that i call it it's caught between the knee sorry the hip and the foot a lot of times knee pain is caused by hip pain or sorry hip dysfunction or foot dysfunction so the myth is that the area of your pain 
is the issue. It's not, typically not. It's just what's suffering because something else isn't doing its job. And that's where a movement specialist, a PT, comes in to identify that original source, right? Because out there you're seeing a lot of, if you have knee pain, do this. Mm-hmm. Kind of clickbait stuff. And I, I, I get why they're doing that. I really do. Um, but you need someone else to identify for you where the original cause is. So good. Cool. Yeah. Um, next one, Nat. Yeah. How about one <sighs> Give more? Give us more. One more. One more. Um, one more. But there's so many. Okay. <laughs> no. uh, my last one is that you need, myth is that you need a prescription to see a physical therapist. Uh-huh. Physical therapists have direct access. I believe this is in all 50 states now. So if you, Jess, need to see a physical therapist for something, you can call that clinic and you can go in next week or whenever they have an opening. You don't need a doctor's prescription in order to do so. That's fairly new within the Mm -hmm. last 10 years. Okay. What will happen is eventually down the line, save you the details, but your doctor eventually needs to sign off on that if you're going through your insurance. They just need to sign off on the plan of care that the PT created. Mm -hmm. But if you need to see a PT and you feel like you have a need for that, you can go do that on your own. You don't need a prescription from your doctor. Especially, yeah, especially if you're doing cash, you actually don't need um, a doctor at all to be a part of that, so. Right, because there's no insurance involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So seek care if you need it, I guess. Okay. Is the How about one more? Summary. Come on. Come on. John loves them. John like, loves a good more. <laughs> He's like, I we have another minute myth. left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me more. One minute. Okay, my last one is, uh, oh, I can't wrap it I'm up just now. Kidding. No, 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 no. You don't. You have um, as much time as you want. My last one is that cash pay physical therapy is more expensive, right, than quote unquote normal outpatient PT. Mm-hmm. Um, when you add up how much time you spend in a typical clinic, maybe you're going twice a week, which is pretty pretty typical. Mm-hmm. You're going twice a week. You're taking at least an hour out of your day. You're driving there. You're paying your copay, which now I've seen copay is seventy dollars. Oh my god! Not all of yeah, them, but that was thirty. Yeah, thirty to seventy, I would say, is pretty typical range. You're doing that twice a week for multiple weeks on end versus seeing maybe a cash pay PT where you get, I hope, better results quicker. You understand what's happening more and you have a better relationship and a resource in your PT. Those things actually even out really nicely and that can be your resource moving forward. You always mm-hmm. have someone to fall back on. So if you're someone who feels like you're you're stuck in quote unquote, quote unquote typical PT and you're just not getting results, Announcement, and this isn't even for myself, this is for everyone. There are resources out there and people who can still help you. Yeah. And if if finances are an issue, especially now inflation's like mm-hmm. crazy, there are options for you out there. So mm-hmm. don't stop looking for that solution because I promise you there's something out there for you. Awesome. Well said. Those, those are some good bits because uh, you know we, we hear that all the time and I'm glad you addressed the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Natalie, to wrap this up, I want you to tell people where they can get a hold of you. Oh, that's okay. right. So what is your email address? My email address is natalie at bardellipt.com. Spelling's a little rough there. We'll link that in the show <laughs> notes too for everyone. So if you want to get Natalie, we will have her email address um, right in there. And your Instagram is nataliebardellipt, right? Perfect. Perfect. And your website we will link as well at physicalhealing.net. And the one question we ask all of our guests at the very end of Which the episode. You should know if you're listening. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I John. know. I'm impressed. Right on. <laughs> Natalie, 
John, I want to ask you, how do you live zesty? I love this question, and I love that you guys put a, a word to like what you're trying to describe by zesty. Uh-huh. Um, I thought a lot life. about this. I know. It's wonderful. I, and this is a toughie. I said, identify the gifts that life is giving you now. Um, that can be that can be big, that can be little. Um, for me, it's nature, it's my health and the health of my family and the health of my friends, right? Those relationships that I have, those are big things. Um, but little things, I was laughing, Ryan and I, uh, my husband, we were going on a walk on Sunday yesterday. Morning walk, coffee, our dog, sunny day in San Diego. And we just yeah. paused for a moment and we're like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. Like this is life, you know? It's in the little things. We went home, there's a little hummingbird that comes in front of our balcony, like our little garden. I see him almost every day and there's a monarch butterfly that flies in our garden. Like those things bring me so much joy and it sounds a little cheesy, no, you know, but like so passion. Good. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, and that's, to me, that's like, that's the zest of life. Like, that keeps me excited. Yeah. I have yeah. chills now. That was Ooh. such a good answer. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I'm like relating to all of that. I love I it. I do that all the time. Yes. I, like connect with that and just thinking to myself every day, like, dang. Wow. Lucky to live here. Lucky for my health, family. I mean, all the things you just expressed. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. So good. So many people miss that. Yeah. All right, Natalie. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Inside Job podcast. Yes. We thank are going you so to. Much. You're welcome. We're going to link where people get, can get a hold of you. But I haven't seen you in a long time. But hearing you talk, I am so excited to refer people to you. Oh, yes. And if anyone gets it, wants to get a hold of Natalie, you know where to find her. We'll link that all up, and you'll be all set. Wonderful. Cool. Thanks thank for you so being much, here. guys. Nice to meet okay. you. Thanks, see you guys. Matt. Bye. Bye. And stay zesty. Oh my god, I hate it. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> Bye, Can't leave everyone. it out. <laughs>